Late Night Wrestling Pod with your host, Brandon Scott. Welcome everybody to episode two of the Late Night Wrestling Pod. Where we're at right now, I am about uh, 20 hours away from the publishing of episode one, the September 8th, 1997 Monday Night Raw. I've had some time to kind of, uh, you know, rearrange the studio here soundproof the walls so hopefully this episode will be a much better quality i did go back and master episode one i'm still not exactly happy with how it turned out sound wise but you know it's not bad it's you know fuck it's good enough for episode one and who knows maybe in the future i'll go back and revisit episode number one that raw um, it's still very fresh with me right now, and I don't think I could really watch it again. I loved it at the time, but, you know, like I said last week, was not a great Monday Night Raw. And tonight we have my very first Monday Night Nitro from the U.S. Bank Arena, or First Star Arena, I think it was at the time. Right now it's the Heritage Bank Arena. On September 20th, 1999, WCW was in its decline at this time. WWF was clearly in, you know, number one. A lot has changed in the two years since my first wrestling show. At this point, I'm 11 years old, and WCW was almost unbearable at the time. This was not a great Nitro, and it it almost seems like this Nitro, the whole point of it was to build up to next week's Nitro. It was about five weeks out from the Halloween Havoc 1999, and they were building up matches to that. And it looks like they're just stalling to kill time. When we get into it, I'll point out some of that. But before we do, I've been doing some research for episode number three, and uh, I was only ever able to go see ECW one time. It came to the Cincinnati Convention Center in February of 2000. You know, and I thought that would be a fitting episode number three. The problem with it is I've looked online to try to, like, pinpoint when it aired. And it looks like the show was chopped up between ECW, Hardcore TV, ECW on TNN. And some of it just didn't air at all. So what I'm going to do, and this is going to be kind of a new format. Well, I guess everything's new for episode number three. I'm going to review the matches that I can locate on the Peacock and uh, kind of review those. To be honest, I don't remember too much of that show. It was, I remember it being very long, but it's spread out across three or four shows. I'm going to try to watch those this week, but I, I don't know how much of an in-depth review I'll be able to get for it. So this is what I'm going to do. I am going to SummerSlam this weekend. Right now, it is July 28th. By the time this show has been published, it'll be a few weeks after SummerSlam. But I'm going to kind of give you my recap of how it was, um, what it was like, how the show was, how the crowd was. And right now, According to my weather app on my iPhone, there is a 60% chance of rain for SummerSlam. And it is at the Titan Stadium, which is open air. There is no roof. And it looks like it's going to rain all weekend. So I'll give you some updates on that. Hopefully it won't. Hopefully everything will go great. I also am going to go see the night before the Undertaker one-man 
one dead man show. I'm not really sure what's going to happen there. I got an email, and this is kind of interesting, like saying that they were prohibiting cell phones. If you come in with your cell phone, you're going to be forced to put it in a plastic bag. And if you're caught using it or your uh, smartwatch, you will be escorted out of the building. It's I'm very intrigued by this. It's going to be at some bar and grill. Looks like they have some uh, local bands play there from time to time. But um, I'm going to give you a review of the ECW matches that I can find. The Undertaker One Dead Man Show and SummerSlam 2022. There's a lot of rumors going on about that. And, uh, yeah, so I'm pretty excited about that. Hopefully everything goes off with a, you know, outing issue. There won't be any rain, but that's looking unlikely. I'm really curious to see how WWE is going to deal with the rain, if it should happen. And before we get started, uh, I'm not really sure the, you know, the route I'm going to go with this show. It's, most of it's going to be nostalgia. But um, in current news, last week, WWE chairman Vince McMahon retired at age 76. There's a lot of speculation of what went down, how it happened, why he's stepping down. Is there going to be a federal investigation? Um, you know, just there's so much up in the air right now. We have no idea. But Stephanie McMahon and Nick Khan are CEO of WWE and Triple H is in charge of creative and vice president or president of talent relations. The SummerSlam show I'm going to is supposed to be there first. You know, it's kind of a statement of where they're going to be at. I'm pretty excited about it. I think it's, you know, I at the time of this recording, I'm unaware of what Vince McMahon has done other than some hush money to women, which is, you know, it's uh, not very moral. But, uh, you know, it's kind of sad. It's the end of an era. Vince McMahon is gone. I'm happy that there's still a McMahon in, around. And, you know, Triple H did a great job with NXT when it was the black and yellow. Well, uh, you know, I'll kind of give my input, too, on that at SummerSlam 22 or 2022 of, you know, the difference. Raw this past week, I believe it was... July 24th, you know, I can already see the difference. Uh, it opened up with a fight. It it was very chaotic, and uh, it didn't seem as sanitized as WWE usually is or has been for the past several years. You know, and I hope uh, the show wrestling WWE, you know, gets a little grittier. The product has come off as very sanitized, and there's rumors that it's going to go to TV 14, which um, I'm intrigued by. Still doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be good. Uh, my biggest criticism of AEW is all the bitches and shits and goddamn, and John Moxley said fuck on TV. Um, it's, you know, there's nothing wrong with that in wrestling, but it needs to be appropriate. It's... You know, I think it should be saved for the right occasion. Just every promo, bitch, goddamn shit, whatever, kind of uh, takes away from it. So if it can be done right, I think TV 14 is a great idea. I don't think the Attitude Era is ever going to come back, but I don't necessarily think it should. Wrestling evolves just like everything, and hopefully we're 
on the dawn of a new era, and it'll be something great. The, there's a wrestling boom right now with the independence of AEW. Hopefully, WWE can capitalize on that, and you know we'll get some more great content. So that's enough of, uh, of my rant for modern day wrestling, or whatever you want to call it, my monologue. This let's uh, go ahead and get into the show. So this was my first WCW Monday Night Nitro. However, it was not my first WCW show. About a year before, I went to a WCW house show that was on a Sunday afternoon. I re- And for the life of me, I cannot find results, uh, pictures, anything, you know, anything stating that it ever even happened. The only thing I really remember from that show was it was very much a house show. There was a few stars there. Uh, Kevin Nash was there. Goldberg wasn't quite what he was, but I remember he beat, I think, Brad Armstrong in like five seconds. Uh, The main event was Kevin Nash versus Lex Luger with Lex Luger going over. And Saturn challenged Booker T for the WCW television title. And there were some luchadors I don't really remember. The one thing I do remember about that house show was, so there was a six-man luchador match. I guess they call it a trios match, according to AEW. But there was uh, three luchadors versus two luchadors and Conan on the team, which I thought was weird. I know Conan's very involved with the Mexican luchador wrestling scene, but he was a member of the NWO at the time. And here he was teaming up with the Luchadors. Uh, in my child mind, I was blown away by that. Like, this would have never happened on TV. The show ended with, like I said, Lex Luger going over Kevin Nash. And I remember Goldberg came out, speared Kevin Nash, and Lex Luger covered him. And the show ended with Kevin Nash telling Goldberg, like, you're going to regret that. And nothing came of it until... Maybe six months later when Goldberg was getting his push for the world heavyweight title, the WCW title. All right, so let's get into the Monday Night Nitro from September 20th, 1999. So we open up with the Nitro image, and this is when WCW Nitro had that god-awful set and looked like a cat's asshole with the WCW logo. Um, It almost looked like a spaceship. It opens up, and we go to a package about Sting turning heel. Sting had previously turned heel at the pay-per-view, defeating Hollywood or Hulk Hogan for the WCW Championship. Him, Lex Luger, and DDP were some type of stable. Um, I don't think it was ever named, but... They really tried to sell how, like, you know, it was such a big deal of Sting turning heel and how well did they ever really know Sting and was Sting always like this? And I remember to myself, like, who fucking cares? It's WCW was, I don't even know, I think Vince Russo was writing at the time, I'm not sure, but it was just like everything was thrown together. It was hard to follow and it would get worse as time would go on. I went to another Nitro about a year later and a WCW pay-per-view that were just disasters, especially the pay-per-view. The pay-per-view was sold out 2,000 
or the entire card had to be changed. But um, we open up to Tony Schiavone and Bobby the Brain Heenan. I love Bobby the Brain Heenan. He is just fucking hilarious. He's uh, has a really unique insight, and he was kind of the precursor to Jerry the King Lawler. He wasn't as perverted, but he was funny, and you know he knew his stuff. Bobby the Brain Heenan had been around the block. One of the things I noticed when they were shooting Tony Schiavone and Bobby the Brain Heaton, they both had like cue cards of what they were reading off of. And Tony Schiavone had a cue card that read, Next week, Sting, Lex Luger, and DDP versus Brett the Hitman, Hart, Hawk Hogan, and Ric Flair. And in the show, they would later go on like, This just in. We hear about the six man tag next week. And it was like I was saying, they were the entire Nitro was like building towards Halloween Havoc in the next Nitro. Bret Hart wasn't there. Hulk Hogan was, however. It was uh it was just very poorly written. So we go into our first match, which is Hoventu Guerrera and Psychosis versus Mysterio and Kidman. Right, uh, this time, WCW had Mysterio and Kidman doing the Filthy Animals angle, which was kind of their their answer to WWS Degeneration X. And Rey Mysterio wasn't wearing a mask. He had lost it to Kevin Nash and Lex Luger the previous summer. It was kind of weird seeing Rey Mysterio without the mask, because as we're all aware, when he comes to WWE, finally, he's wearing the mask. And... There's this whole, you know, Eric Bischoff said in his podcast, 83 weeks, not the plug that podcast, but that he really just didn't understand how much the mask meant to the luchadors. I don't watch a lot of luchadors. Um, I'll watch like a, a, a triple A, a triple mania or whatever, but I don't really keep up with it. CMLL, I believe it's called, you know, the oldest wrestling league on the planet. I've watched some of their shows and, you know, the luchador style is it's, I, I appreciate it for its athleticism and everything like that, but the mask and the crazy outfits and stuff like that, it's, uh, it's, you know, it's not my deal. I always loved Eddie Guerrero. I felt like, you know, he was kind of, uh, different than all that. He, his character wasn't silly. Oh, well, at times it was silly, you know, with the, China, Mamacita, lie, cheat, steal, stuff. But he was always a serious wrestler. And I, I felt like a lot of the luchadors weren't. But I can look back now in my defined 34-year-old mind that the luchadors were really the precursor to the young bucks and guys doing flips out of the ring. I think, you know, even though it was never my thing, you have to appreciate the Luchadors and everything that they did for American wrestling. It really brought it to the mainstream. So this match gets kicked off, and uh, the first thing they do is cut to a advertisement for WCW Mayhem. I think it was the last, no, it wasn't the last WCW game. WCW Backstage Assault was the last game. But I remember <clears throat> running this game from Blockbuster, God, it was terrible. You know, WCW had a string of good games with WCW versus NWO World Tour and WCW versus NWO Revenge. But 
I, I was a PlayStation guy at the time. Now I'm an Xbox guy, but I remember this. They never had good games for the PlayStation console, and it was it was just a bad game. And their whole stick was like, it's just like watching wrestlers on TV. And 22 years, 23 years later, it is not just like watching wrestlers on TV. How the times have changed. So they go into the match. It's uh, really fast-paced. So Psychosis and Hooventoot win. And they set up a match for next week, which is going to be Psychosis versus Kidman, Mask versus Hair. And spoiler, Kidman wins, and Psychosis has to take off his mask, which was just another luchador losing their mask. There was Hooventoot, there was Rey Mysterio, and now Psychosis. It, you know, just the whole, the culture just was not appreciated or understood at the time. So now we finally go to the Nitro Open, which is when they were playing the music, show the Nitro Girls, all that. And they immediately cut to a Psycho Sid or Sid Vicious known in WCW versus Goldberg. Sid Vicious at the time is doing the Millennium Man thing where he's walking around with Charles Robbins and he's uh, just powerbombing people left and right and pins them. The number keeps climbing. It's probably the number is probably as legitimate as Goldberg's was, if you want to be honest about it. And you know, I, I liked Psycho Sid, Sid Vicious. I liked him in WWF. I liked his storyline with Shawn Michaels where he beat him for the you know, the WWF championship at Survivor Series ninety six. But you know, I wasn't feeling this and it was really long and it was all it went throughout the show. And, you know, I wasn't excited to see Sid Vicious versus Goldberg. It was just going to be a big man match. Not a lot of psychology. Not a lot of good moves. But with that, we get to our first or second matchup of the night. Brian Knobs with his manager, Jimmy Hart, versus Goldberg. Brian Knobs is wearing his Nasty Boys shirt and his whole Nasty Boys outfit. And from what I can... I remember, I don't think the Nasty Boys have been a thing since the mid-1996. They were, uh, you know, a tag team that was pretty much broken up by the time I started watching, but I did appreciate from my years of renting, you know, home videos and things like that. I remember they had a matchup with Harlem Heat, and it was like a Falls Count Anywhere matchup or whatever, and it was just insane. I loved it. But we get to this match. It's Goldberg versus Brian Knobs. And I think we all know how this match is going to turn out. Um, so Brian Knobs is in the ring. Jimmy Hart grabs a microphone and does this long-winded promo about the first family of wrestling. I forgot that stable even still existed. But, you know, looking back now, he did manage a lot of people. He managed Jerry Flynn, I think it was, and Ming and Barbarian. and. I didn't realize it was still stable. It was like uh, the Dungeon of Doom or whatever. I guess it was just something that they never gave closure to or thought to end. But Goldberg starts his entrance from the back. He comes out from the locker room. There's a headbutting the wall and everything. And comes out with security. And, I re and it was such a long walk. They must have had his locker room, uh, you know, 
two, three hundred feet from the gorilla position. It was almost unbearable how long it took. So Goldberg comes out, does his thing. Um, yeah, they start the match. Jimmy Hart distracts the referee. Brian Nobbs does a few unprotected chair shots. And then Goldberg hits a spear. Jackhammer, one, two, three. No surprise there. Goldberg wins. And then it was funny. They cut to a fan in the crowd wearing a Goldberg shirt. And the guy was also wearing a Stone Cold Steve Austin mask. And they looked similar enough. I assume that the cameraman just thought it was a Goldberg mask. So that was kind of funny. Goldberg does a promo about Sid Vicious and their upcoming match at Halloween Havoc. And it was not a great promo either. Um, you know, Goldberg was never very comfortable with promos. He, it's almost a shame he didn't have a Paul Heyman or, a, you know, Bobby the Brain Heenan with him. He could have been a, he could have been a massive heel. Imagine that. But... You know, probably in hindsight, the, you know, making him the babyface fighting the NWO was the way to go. But I couldn't help but imagine him with that winning streak being a bad guy. It would have been Brock Lesnar, you know, 25 years earlier, 23 years earlier. We cut to Mean Gene Okerlund is in the ring, and out comes Nature Boy Ric Flair, who is having his last match this weekend. I couldn't quite convince the wife to want to go to that. But... You know, who knows? Maybe I can convince it. We'll be leaving Nashville on Sunday morning, and the match is at Sunday night. Probably not going to happen, but, you know, a fella can hope. Ric Flair comes out, you know, does the standard Ric Flair interview. He talks Sting, how he wants a title shot, and Benoit comes out and says that, you know, he wants a world title match. He deserves a world title match. And, uh, you know, he has a match that night that, you know, I'll get to next. But from there, we cut to the search for the new Nitro Girl. Which I completely forgot all about this and just how mind-numbingly dumb this was. They, uh, apparently each city they go to, they recruit two girls to be, to become a nitro girl i guess they like there's a competition or whatever i'm not sure what happened of it i tried to look up the two girls because it gave their first and last name on nitro on facebook or whatever that i could just not find any record of them existing at all so uh if you know you know let me know shoot me an email late night wrestling pod at gmail.com and uh it you know, I was never, you know, like, yeah, I was young boys and Nitro Boys, were, Nitro Girls were cool. But, uh, you know, I always just wanted to get right to the action. And next up, we have Sting versus Chris Benoit for the WCW World Heavyweight Championship. This was, I'll have to say, the match of the night. Uh, and uh, as this match starts, Tony Schiavone's like, this just in from the WCW Executive Committee. Next week, there's going to be a six-man tag match. And uh, that was the match that was on the cue cards from earlier in the night. The match starts, and Chris Benoit does what Chris Benoit does. There's suplexes, uh, a whole bunch of technical moves. This was the match of the night. And watching this, uh, you know, Sting did pretty good in this match. It was 
You know, he was uh not he wasn't really old by this point, but he was a good fifteen years into his career and it was a decent match. Um you saw a lot of wrestling moves you never see anymore. There was a front face suplex, which is you know, as opposed to falling on your back with a suplex, falling like throwing them down face first. It was uh you know, I had I had almost forgotten about moves like that. And Chris Benoit does a Indian Deathlock. That it looks very complicated, very cool. I mean, it'd be very impractical in a real fight, but it looks really cool. You see a, a pile driver, which you know, a move like that, it that should be a, a finishing hold. You know, the, occasionally you can have a false finish, but it was just thrown in there. It was cool. But uh, Chris Benoit sets up Sting for the flying headbutt. He connects one, two, Sting kicks out, and they don't make a huge deal out of it. And the uh, match is continuing, and out comes Lex Luger. Here comes Hulk Hogan. Here comes Ric Flair. The match just ends in a giant brawl. And, you know, once again, we have no ending. I thought what was weird was uh, there is, you know, they, they kind of threw all their main eventers out right away. And after this matchup for the World Heavyweight title, they have, like, Berlin versus... You know, Scott Armstrong or uh, it was, yeah, Scott Armstrong, Berlin versus Scott Armstrong after the WCW World Heavyweight Championship match. There was a cruiserweight match after that, and, you know, they've already had the Goldberg match. They've opened up with the Luchadors. And it seems like they kind of put it front heavy and the rest of it legs, you know. Um, and after this matchup, they announced the main event will be Diamond Dallas Page versus Ric Flair. That, you know, in theory, sounds like a great match, but we'll see about that. The match starts and Chris Benoit does what Chris Benoit does. There's suplexes, uh, a whole bunch of technical moves. This was the match of the night, and... Watching this, uh, you know, Sting did pretty good in this match. It was, you know, he was uh, not, he wasn't really old by this point, but he was a good 15 years into his career. And it was a decent match. Um, you saw a lot of wrestling moves you never see anymore. There was a front face suplex, which is, you know, as opposed to falling on your back with a suplex. With a suplex. There was also a pile driver in there, and, uh, you know, you don't see the pile driver too much anymore. Well, at least in WWE. It was uh, it only got a two count. Um, Sting also kicked out of Chris Benoit's diving headbutt, and the match just kind of ended. It ended in a brawl. Lex Luger came out and started beating up Chris Benoit. Ric Flair comes out. DDP comes out, and it's just, uh, and uh, Hogan comes out too, and it's just another big fight. And then what do we follow up a world heavyweight title match with? Naturally, Berlin versus Scott Armstrong. Berlin, who you also may know as Alex Wright, was in the middle of a kind of a German Ramstein fucking, uh, I don't know, neo-Nazi push. Uh, he came out with the wall. It was uh, just a squash match. And I think it was funny with, uh, you see all the wrestlers in the NWO and they all look, 
pretty cool. And then, you know, the WCW guys, they all look pretty cool, too. And then you can just tell, you know, when it's going to be a squash match because they bring out a Scott Armstrong. He's wearing a one-piece singlet, and, you know, he just looks like a jobber. He looks like somebody who's going to job out on a WCW Saturday night. The match goes down, and there's one point in the match where uh, I think it was Berlin goes for a drop kick and doesn't even make contact with Armstrong, and Armstrong just sells it to no end. The match ends with a neck breaker, and, you know, there we are. This match went on after the World Heavyweight title match, went on after Goldberg. I, I don't understand why. And then next we have a shot of the outside of the Insane Clown Posse and Vampiro pulling up. They're talking about who is going to take on Lenny Lane for the WCW Cruiserweight title. In full disclosure, at the time I was... You know, in my younger days, I was a pretty big ICP fan, or Juggalo, as they called them. I uh, probably could dedicate a full episode to Insane Clown Posse, and, you know, who knows? Maybe I will, if content starts drying up. And um, we cut to Mean Gene Okerlund, who was in the ring again, and he brings out Diamond Dallas Page, DDP. DDP is in some type of feud with Ric Flair at the time, and... He cuts a standard heel promo, and he says, Ric Flair needs to retire, which I think is kind of funny because this is 23 years later, and right now, like I said, I'm going to SummerSlam this weekend, and Ric Flair is set to have his second retirement match this Sunday, and uh, 23 years later. So uh, it's you know it's kind of ironic timing. And next up, we have Blitzkrieg versus Evan Courageous. Um, nothing really happened after WCW folded with these two, which I'm kind of surprised. Blitzkrieg had a pretty good pop. So the match is your standard cruiserweight match, and then out of nowhere, here comes Sid Vicious. He does the power bomb, pins him, because continuing his Millennium Man winning streak, which is kind of ridiculous. Sid grabs the microphone and officially challenges Goldberg for Halloween Havoc. Uh, at the time, Sid was the United States champion, and I think it's funny. He's got Charles Robinson out there with him holding the poster board with his victories, like the 72-0. and 0. And um, Charles Robinson is wearing the United States championship. I, you know, I, I don't even really remember how this whole thing pays off, but I can tell you it probably doesn't really pay off. And next up, we have Saturn versus Eddie Guerrero. Um, Eddie Guerrero comes out with the Filthy Animals, and Saturn comes out with the Revolution, I, or maybe just Shane Douglas. It was a pretty good match. It's probably the runner-up behind Sting and Benoit. And um, there was times where it was, you know, there were some long headlocks and everything like that. But once again, Eddie and Saturn were pretty good. There are lots of suplexes. Saturn's style kind of reminds me of the. ECW Taz human suplex machine at the time. I know Saturn was an ECW as a member of the Eliminators, but it, it just reminded me a lot of it. I'm really surprised that nothing else really ever happened with Saturn. Yeah, I know he came to WWE, but he had that stupid fucking mop gimmick. And, um, you know, there was really nothing, nothing happened. I think he may have won the European title, had the hardcore title a few times, but, you know, there, it looks like in my opinion, that you know, he could have had a, you know, quite the push, quite the run, I think. So Shane Douglas interferes. Saturn gets the victory, one, two, three. 
and Saturn is pissed off about it that Shane Douglas interfered, hinting at some, uh, you know, trouble in the revolution. And we all know how that would turn out in a few months with all of them besides Shane Douglas jumping to the WWE as the Radicals. Next up, we have Mean Gene out there again. Uh, they, you know, really got their money's worth with Gene Okerlund at this time. And out comes the immortal Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan is wearing his red and yellow again. I think just a few weeks before, he kind of stopped doing the Hollywood Hogan black and white thing and starts donning the red and yellow again. It was, um, I remember that I thought it was pretty cool because in my time as a wrestling fan, I had not seen Hulk Hogan as red and yellow. I'd seen the old videotapes, but it was nothing current with me. So I was in favor of it. As a matter of fact, I bought a Hulkamania shirt, red and yellow at that nitro. And, um, Hulk Hogan comes out and he's doing his standard, you know, baby face promo and nothing really happens. Uh, and he promotes the six-man tag on next week's Monday Nitro, which at this time, and again, I think it's strange. We're not even at the main event, or we're about halfway through the show, and they're already plugging next week's Nitro. So it's basically like saying, fuck it, this is a throwaway show, and don't worry about it. I enjoyed it as a fan, but you know, being there, but watching it, God, it was brutal. And I'm sure if I was watching it from home and you know, wasn't a WWF guy, I would have thought it was pretty fucking terrible, too. It's, um, as I'm going through the show, it's funny. I, uh, I did a two-hour Monday Night Raw for episode number one, and with commercials taken out on Peacock and everything like that, it comes out to about an hour and 25 minutes. This show comes out to just under two hours, and I feel like there's so much more that... I got it from the Monday Night Raw than I did this WCW Monday Night Nitro. And maybe it was just the nostalgia of it was my first show. The Monday Night Raw was my first show, and I was never a WCW guy. But it was, this was just, God, it was a fucking terrible Nitro. And WCW was on the decline. It had maybe a year and a half left in it, but... Things are just falling apart, and they're only going to get worse. That's We're about six months out from the big WCW New Blood reboot, which, you know, I, I didn't hate, and I still don't hate. I, I get it now that, you know, just throwing away everything and saying, fuck it, it doesn't matter. Um, vacating all the belts was, you know, probably not the traditional wrestling thing to do, but I remember as a kid thinking it was kind of cool. But it really just felt like a big setup for Jeff Jarrett. But enough of that. That's, you know, a Nitro for another time. I went to another WCW Nitro before they closed up, and it was in full effect of Vince Russo booking. And uh, we'll get to that later on at a a different time and episode. And I went to another WCW sold-out 2000, I think it was, show. Or was it 2001? I'll look into it and I'll find out. But it was another Vince Russo show. And boy, was it a fucking disaster. It was terrible. Next up, we have the WCW Cruiserweight Championship match. Another match that is after the WCW World Heavyweight title match. We have Lenny Lane with Lodi 
facing Shaggy Two Dope with Violent J and Vampiro. Shaggy Two Dope is, of course, with the Insane Clown Posse, and Vampiro is a famous luchador wrestler. Lenny Lane and Lodi were in the midst of this homosexual gimmick, and I think it was actually abruptly dropped from TV, but it was really, really homophobic, and I mean this in the most politically correct way, but it was totally fucking gay. Really gay. They really played up on that, and I it was almost kind of like a take of Goldust in 1996 when they were really playing off the homophobia shit with him. But it, it wasn't done well. It was so in your face, and you know, all you know, all things aside, if if you know, in this day and age, a gimmick like that would be canceled soon. It would not probably not last a entire episode. But um, so Shaggy Tudope and Lenny Lane are going at it, and uh. It was, uh, no, Shaggy Tudope did pretty good. There was a lot of, it was at times maybe a little sloppy, but I thought it was, you know, for, I, I don't think that most of the fans realized that Violent J and Shaggy Tudope were trained professional wrestlers, and it wasn't really their thing. They would, you know, wrestle on their JCW and things like that, but I think this even predates it. If not, JCW was just coming out at the time. And, um, it was fine, you know, uh, Shaggy Tudope did leg drops off the top rope, and really, uh, he kept up with Lenny Lane, and Lenny Lane wins with a roll-up pin, and we're on to Mean Gene again. Mean Gene out here, I think, for the fourth time tonight, and out comes Rick Steiner. Rick Steiner comes out, and it does his little thing, and he calls out his brother Scott Steiner, and I guess the Steiner brothers brothers are back together scott steiner takes the mic and he's you know it's kind of an aimless promo which he's kind of known for but he talks about how sid vicious is gonna kick goldberg's ass and hulk hogan is uh being threatened for leaving the nwo which is funny because uh scott steiner wasn't wearing the nwo colors either and at this point nwo was dead but it never, you know, never really had any closure. It was just, you know, one day they were gone. They had the NWO merger, and Scott Steiner, I think he went to the Wolfpack, or he's, I don't know. I, I really am not going to comment on it. But at no times was Rick Steiner a member of the NWO. And Scott Steiner actually betrayed Rick Steiner to join the NWO. So you think there would be some hard feelings there, but nope. Scott Steiner is out there saying he's going to kick Hulk Hogan's ass or giving up the black and white and going red and yellow again. Scott Steiner does some poses, shows off his massive fucking biceps, and we're off again. Another commercial break. Up next, we have Booker T with Stevie Ray, known as Harlem Heat, versus Canyon. Watching this, I thought this would be uh, a much better match than it actually was. I I liked Kenyon with Raven, and I liked Kenyon as Mortis. I thought it was a pretty cool look, the whole Mortal Kombat reptile thing. But this was this match really had no direction. It was just kind of there to, I feel like, kill time. And 
I feel like I'm killing time now because this nitro was so bad that there wasn't much to talk about. A few things that I noted during the match was uh, Booker T does a rock bottom and it was just a setup move. I don't know if there's anything intentional there, but he does a rock bottom. That's that. And it it's used to set up the uh, scissors kick that Booker T used throughout his career. And that move turns to a spinner Rooney, which leads to the missile drop kick off the top rope. I forgot that Booker T did that. And uh, it looked really good. I, I kind of wish that, you know, they would still utilize that. He, uh, he would have utilized that more as his finishing move, even when he went to WWE. It's a, a move that I think is kind of forgotten about and shouldn't be. He, it, he really utilized it when he was doing his WCW television championship run with, you know, the Chris Benoit's and the Perry Saturn and Rick Martel's of the world. And I, I, I think the Spinner Rooney stuff kind of um, overshadowed the missile drop kick and the rock bottom or the bookends, as they were calling it. And I feel like that he should have had the missile drop kick kept as his finisher, if anything, just to keep him, like, you know, distinguished against the rock. Rock was, this is 1999, the rock was in full force right now using the rock bottom. So, missile dropkick, pin, one, two, three, pointless fucking match. I will say that it was weird seeing Booker T with his short hair and his Harlem Heat getup. I uh, forgot that in 1999 that he got back together with Stevie Ray and we're doing Harlem Heat. Harlem Heat was a pretty good tag team, and I... It, Obviously, Booker T shined out on his own. But um, I forgot that they had pulled him back together. And the WCW pay-per-view that I saw sold out dealt with, I think it was Ahmed Johnson or Big T, whatever the fuck they called him, versus Booker T for the Harlem Heat name. So the team wasn't around much longer, but they were still in force here. They were actually even WCW Tag Team Champions. I think it was their last run as WCW Tag Team Champion. But they were still around. I was surprised by that. And finally, we get to our main event, if you can call it that. Diamond Dallas Page comes out, does his whole ordeal. It, it was strange to see DDP as a heel. But I remember liking him with Bam Bam Bigelow and Canyon as a triad. I don't think we're there right yet. But he's in his early stages of being a heel. And um, DDP's on his way out. Ric Flair jumps him, just runs out there and starts hitting him from behind. It was, uh, I probably didn't think this as a kid, but watching it is disappointing. I didn't get the Ric Flair intro experience. Him coming out in the robe, Space Odyssey, but whatever. So the match starts with Ric Flair jumping DDP slow match once I finally got to the ring. And Ric Flair had a lot of slow matches, but they always built, and that's what made them so good. And for a match that ended the way that it did, I feel like it shouldn't have been so slow. The match is going on, and out comes Sting and Lex Luger continuing their little faction ordeal. And 
they jump Ric Flair, and out comes uh, Hulk Hogan. And as Hulk Hogan is coming down the ramp and to the ring, we fade the black. Another fucking, you know, nothing main event. Another fucking nothing match. Why they couldn't have ended the show just with book or uh, Chris Benoit Sting, I don't know. And they could have had a clear winner to the match. I mean, I don't think it would have really hurt Chris Benoit, who was the television champion at the time, to, you know, job to Sting, who was the world heavyweight champion at the time. Chris Benoit was, you know, besides all the horrible shit he did, um, had plenty of time to build up and, you know, recover from that loss. And it was Sting he would have lost to, so I don't think it would have really hurt him. But instead, they throw together this DDP and Ric Flair match, which, you know, looking at it, you're like, oh, this could be pretty good. But, in fact, it was just another throwaway match. It was more of a brawl than a match than anything. Um, on the plus side, though, I got to see Ric Flair wrestle, and I'd get to see him wrestle a few more times. So, the you know, my rating for this show was not good. And, you know, I kind of gave the raw rating from episode one saying it wasn't very good either. But the fact of the matter was I didn't care. I got to see the superstars of WWF. Here I got to see, you know, Hulk Hogan in his red and yellow. And, you know, that was cool. But it was just it wasn't a good show. And I probably didn't care as a child. But I also don't, you know, I didn't remember a lot of it either because it just didn't leave an impression on me. The next Nitro I went to was, I think, in uh, summer of 2000, which was pretty close to the end of WCW. And I don't really remember too much of that show either. I remember the NWO 2000 thing, and it just kind of states where WCW was at the time. It's, you know, it was a, it was really phoned-in show, and I feel like a lot of the times WCW felt phoned-in from you know, 1990 on until it met its ultimate demise. So the show was what it was. Um, Not a great Nitro, but next week, episode three, we're going to cover my first ECW, and I talked about how it was hard to find the matches, and I don't remember a ton of it, but uh, we'll cover that and my experience with The Undertaker One Dead Man Show and SummerSlam 2022. I, I recorded this podcast over a few days and it went from 60% chance of rain to 50% chance of rain to 40% chance of rain back to 60% chance of rain for SummerSlam at Titan Stadium, which doesn't have a roof. So I was curious what it would say and I just checked my weather app right now on my iPhone And right now we're saying 0% chance of rain on Saturday. We'll see how that changes, but hopefully it's a good show. And um, the Friday night, the Undertaker show, there's an 80% chance of rain. I don't know how heavy it's going to be, but, you know, it'll be indoors, so that'll be fun. I'm really excited about this weekend. I live in northern Kentucky, basically a suburb of Cincinnati, Ohio. So the drive to Nashville is about four hours. And I'm going with my pregnant wife, and I don't think she's thrilled about all the wrestling we're going to be doing this weekend. But 
oh well um we're doing some things that she wants to do we're gonna see the uh mci or mca studios where elvis recorded and the tennis or nashville country music hall of fame and the grand old aubrey for her and that should be fun but um yeah so next week episode three my first ecw show and a recap of the SummerSlam weekend at the time of this recording i do not have tickets to rick flair's last match and i don't think that's going to happen I had to work Monday, and it's happening Sunday night. Uh, we're at a time difference here where I'm at. It's a hour earlier in uh, Nashville as opposed to Cincinnati. And uh, that would, if the show ended at 9 o'clock, like I think it's going to because it starts at 6.05, we would not be back until 1 a.m. And I had to work in the morning Monday. So that's just... That's not going to probably happen. And, you know, I get to see The Undertaker again as a 34-year-old in SummerSlam. So I'm pretty happy about that. So for my book of the week this week, we've got John Moxley's Mox book that came out in November of 2021, I think. It was a, it's a pretty good book. I, uh, I enjoyed it. John Moxley, it follows John Moxley all the way up until AEW. And um, it's uh, uh, he described he is also from Cincinnati, just like myself, where I'm from, a suburb of Cincinnati, northern Kentucky. But um, so I, I recognized a lot of the places that he talked about when growing up and the whole Cincinnati culture and things like that. You know, he talks about his time and uh, uh, you know, the Les Thatcher's uh, Cincinnati. Heartland Wrestling Association, CZW, and getting to NXT, and eventually the WWE. And, uh, um, you know, there's still some, I think, hard feelings he has towards WWE because of the comedic elements to his character there, but he doesn't really bash them. I thought it was uh, pretty well done. He talks about, you know, really just being grateful for his time in WWE, which is really cool. And I think the right way to look at things, but, um, it was, a uh, uh, it goes all the way up to AEW and his still decision to leave WWE. It's a really good book. I highly recommend it. Check it out, buy it. Uh, I think at this point it's available in paperback. I have the hard, um, the hardcover copy and, uh, I'm really, um, I really enjoyed it. It was a very easy read. I thought it it was uh, one of the better wrestling books that has come out recently. Next week, our book is going to be Lex Luger's Wrestling with the Devil. I read that book a few weeks ago, or a couple months ago, and um, I'm looking forward to discussing it with you. Once again, I have still not been able to track Bill Watts' book any help on finding a reasonably priced paperback or hardback copy of it let me know hit me up on twitter and uh the gmail late night wrestling pod at gmail.com and time for my unpopular opinion of the week bret hart versus stone cold steve austin bret the hitman hart versus stone cold steve austin naturally our minds go to wrestlemania 13 their i quit match just an excellent match. I think Dave Meltzer gave it the match of the year or five stars, one or the other. I don't necessarily keep up with Meltzer all the time. 
Well, they had two high-profile matches. Three, I think they wrestled at King of the Ring, or I don't know. But their two high-profile matches was Survivor Series 1996 in a standard wrestling match and WrestleMania 13 in an I Quit No DQ match with Ken Shamrock as the referee. And in my opinion, I think the Survivor Series 1996 was the better match. I enjoyed the build-up. It was um, very technical, and I thought it was just great. Stone Cold Steve Austin puts Bret the Hitman Hart in the Million Dollar Dream sleeper hold, and Bret Hart does this kind of uh, jumps up on the turnbuckle while he's on the hold and turns it into a pin to pin Steve Austin for the one, two, three. And it was cool because... Stone Cold Steve Austin was still relatively new in the WWE, and he just had that dumbass fucking ringmaster character, and here he was trying to prove himself. It was a great matchup, and the WrestleMania 13 was a great matchup, too. The blood and Austin refusing to quit. I just personally enjoyed the Survivor Series 1996 matchup better, and I, I think it was kind of, you know, the... It's forgotten about, and it shouldn't be. It was a great match. But that is my unpopular opinion for the week, and I'll be back next week to piss you all off again with another unpopular opinion. So before we leave for the week, um, follow me on Twitter at LateNightPod11 or email me any questions or suggestions at LateNightWrestlingPod at gmail.com. This uh, project that I'm working on here is, I don't get paid for it. It's just something I'm doing on my free time. I enjoy doing it, and uh, I hope you enjoy listening. So please download on whatever device you listen to your podcast on. I'm available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music. Wherever you get your podcast, I'm there. Uh, I just applied to be on iHeartRadio's podcast. And... You know, hit me up. Don't be a dick, but let me know what you like about the show. Let me know what you don't like about the show. Tell me how I can improve. Uh, getting on later on into the show as the the episodes kind of develop, I want to interview some wrestling personalities, and I, I mean, I don't really have that many hookups. But the, here in Cincinnati, we have quite a few wrestling um, independent leagues. And I knew a few of the people that work there. And the person who actually hired me for my current job that I've been at for eight years is actually an independent wrestler. And I think maybe even a minority owner of one of the independent wrestling leagues in Cincinnati. And I'd like to interview him here and kind of, uh, you know, just pick his mind about wrestling and wrestling in Cincinnati. This is uh, something that, you know, I just enjoy doing, and I would love to, you know, hear from you all and get your opinions and, you know, anything wrestling. I'm always down the chat. Hit me up on Twitter, late night pod 11. Uh, I'm usually pretty good about answering my tweets and my messages. Follow me. Give me a five-star review, and it's time to get your ass to bed. You have to work tomorrow, and I'll see you guys next week for episode three. Thank you. Good night.